y'all. Hey, welcome back. And thank you for joining today's episode of Shattering Glass Ceilings, the Black and Brown Series podcast. How was the week going? How is the week going? I know it's only Monday and you all are just starting off your day, but I hope you started it off with something great and positive. This is your host, Tanya Irby Langley, author, advocate, transformation life skills coach, ADHD coach, and the host of Shattering Glass Ceilings, the Black and Brown Series podcast. Today, we're going to get into some myths and um, kind of dispelling some things that we think we know about ADHD. I'm here to give you some more insight and kind of look at this thing from a different way. So forget what you heard. We're going to talk about dispelling the myths. But before we get into it, you know, I couldn't, I would be remiss if I did not highlight what happened last week. I know y'all saw, you know, the kids on the playground last week, uh, which we, you know, labeled it as the presidential debate. But it kind of looked like my four-year-old nephew and his friends out on the playground, but I'm not going to even get into that. Um, God doesn't like ugly. You know, we, we had that debate and, you know, the back and forth. And then over the weekend, starting Friday, we get some reports that, the man in the Oval Office and his beloved was tested positive for COVID-19. Did y'all hear what I said? The same man that did not think this thing was real tested positive with COVID-19. If you don't think this thing is real, I encourage you all to think again because no one is exempt. According to reports, Dr. Sean Connolly, the president's doctor, stated that uh, he is fever-free and um, is not on oxygen, um, doesn't mention much about what First Lady is going through. But, you know, our prayers and well wishes uh, go out to them. You know, this diagnosis, this uh, virus is no joke. And like I said, it has no name, no color, no respect of person. You are not exempt. So enough about that. I don't want to give too much light of that. Um, We have about a month out before we go out and rock the vote. I'm going to continue to encourage you, register. If you are not registered, we are dwindling down to the last little bit of time that we have. And I need you to get out there and vote. I need you to make a difference in the world. If you don't like it, you can't change it. If you're sitting back quiet and making commentary, you got to step up and do what it is that you do to make your voice known. So proud of my millennials. I hear that they've been doing such a great job of letting it be known how they feel. So I hope you all have that same energy come November when it's time to rock the vote. All right, so let's get into it. We're going to talk about today dispelling some myths. Now, forget what you heard. Forget what you heard and what you think you know. I'm going to help you understand this thing called ADHD in the black and brown community. And so what I wanted to do today is to kind of give a little insight and a and a little bit of context to what it is this diagnosis is all about. You know, a lot of people don't think it's a real thing. So I'm going to talk to you from a person-to-person perspective. Now, what we do know is ADHD is a mental health, it's classified in DSM as a mental health diagnosis, right? Um, and what we fail to realize and what we fail to glean to is that the research has proven that African-Americans, black and brown people experience more severe mental health slash childhood conditions because those are things that happen when we're younger. And unfortunately, because 
they happen when we're younger, a lot of the barriers that come in is the fact that they're not caught earlier on we tend to ignore these things when they're they're first happening so it puts a kind of strain on how this diagnosis grows or any mental health diagnosis grows and i'm not saying it in a way where it's something to be frowned upon what i'm saying is to be well aware of what the risk factors are and what some of the things you need to know in identifying whether it's a true diagnosis that impacts your black and brown child or even yourself um there's several barriers that uh come into play when we talk about adhd in any other childhood diagnosis. You have lack of health care, poverty, lack of education, and the stigmas that have been embedded in us to believe what we're told and not actually researching what we need to know regarding the whole stigma of childhood diagnosis and mental health. And we fail to do our due diligence to get the necessary uh, support that we need in doing that. You know, we can go on and on and on about what the government and what people that are involved and these areas should be doing for us, but I put the ownership on us. We have to be mindful of the things that are happening in our community. We have to be mindful of these things that's happening amongst our race. There are several factors, but the ones that stick out the most when it comes to ADHD and getting these proper diagnoses is race and race-related issues, religion, and you know, um, faith-based connotations, poverty, violence lack of trust or uh, provider cultural competencies. And that's a big one. You know, I talk about it in many of my presentations where how can you teach me when you don't know me or how can you reach me to teach me when you don't know me? That becomes a big issue. You can't really relate to my struggles if you don't really understand what those struggles are about. And we see this a lot in the classrooms. You know, we have a lot of outer city participants coming into the inner city teaching our children. And they really don't understand the ebb and flows, the woes, and all of the different things that contribute to what happens in the black and brown community before we even make it into the classroom. And that becomes an issue and it becomes frustration across the board. Frustration to the student because I have someone standing before me that's teaching me that cannot relate to me. And frustrating to the teacher because not to their fault, they really want to be able to teach. They want to be able to provide the knowledge and information, but they don't have the tools. It's not something that's taught in college. It's something that's acquired. You have to really have a love for this. And that's why I always say, when you are teaching children, you really have to have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion for it, you'll get lost in the sauce. Translation and communication is then not properly you know, provided. When we talk about the church and faith-based community, we know that this is the anchor for mental health issues. You know, a lot of people in the church community will say, you know, we'll pray about it when we talk about mental health. It's, we'll pray about it. That's great that we pray, but there's nothing wrong with having a prayer and a therapist. You do need to have a therapist to address some of the things that go on, um, some of the traumas that we face. And while, like I said, the church is the anchor for the black and brown community, we must understand that our creator has provided provided us with resources and places to go and help us get this the help that we need to address some of the issues and to bring some of the suffering that we go through into full perspective to get us the help that we need. And that starts when our children are small. Like I said, there's many, many things that are indicators to help us understand that something's not right. But we tend to ignore those uh, warnings. We tend to not heed the warning at, you know, the cautious light. 
uh, red, yellow, green. That yellow light means to slow down and pay attention before you get to the red light. And I think that we need to do a better job of doing that. So let's get into some of the myths that we heard in regards to ADHD and some of the mental health factors that come into place when we're talking about ADHD. Oh, that's not a real diagnosis. That child just needs their behind spanked or that mom is not doing a great job. Those parents are not doing anything with those kids. That is not true. No child has a diagnosis that they ask for. And no child has control over that diagnosis. It is something that is innate in them. It is the way that they are wired. And many children have these challenges regarding their attention span. I don't think that all children have issues with attention. I think that you just have to find out what it is that captures their attention. And some people are so used to doing things with a routine, a set, you know, uh, way of doing things that they don't realize there's more than one way to bake a cake. And just because there's an instruction in a, a cookbook that says the cake gets done this way, there's nothing to say that there's not ways to reinvent that. So you really have to look at that child. Every child is different. They have their own set of norms and realities and we just have to accept that child for who they are and potentially who they're showing you that they will be. Another myth you hear is that children with ADHD can never pay attention. As I said, it's not that they can never pay attention. You just have to know what it is that captures their attention and focus on those activities that they enjoy, that motivates them, that sparks their enthusiasm. However, no matter how hard you try to address the trouble with your attention, you have to meet them where they are. And that's a lot of the problem. You have to be innovative when you're dealing with children with ADHD and with adults even that have ADHD. You know, some people will check in and check out. You have to be able to capture and be able to move with that flow when they're checking in and checking out. People that have ADHD, they can multitask. A lot of people don't understand that concept of being able to multitask. That's because they get bored easily. And I, you know, I don't, Count the fact that, you know, people that have the ability to multitask are not able to do a uh, walk and chew bubble gum, as I, I call it. But you have to be able to be able to master that. That's a skill. That is an awesome skill to be able to multitask, to understand how to move within the flows of being repetitive and also being able to know when and how to move forward with much less effort. That is a skill, and not a lot of people can do that. Some people are one-track mind, and then you have other people with ADHD who are very multifaceted. And I and I love uh, a person who has ADHD. I love the way their minds think because they are the most intellectual people that you can ever meet. One of the other myths that you hear is that children with ADHD have no control over their bodies or how they behave. That's somewhat, it depends again on the child. Children with ADHD do their very best to practice good behaviors. But what is good behavior? Sitting still with your hands folded in your lap and yes and no, no, please, thank you. Is that good behavior? Is it, is it good behavior where... You know, you don't just blurt out the first thing that comes to mind, whereas an adhd -er will say exactly what's on their mind. And I think that if more people were to be honest with themselves, they would be able to navigate with the, the part of ADHD that is impulsive and says the first thing that comes to mind. You know, they always say that if you want to know the truth, ask the truth 
from the lens of a child. I believe that's the same concept when it comes to ADHDers. If you want to know the truth, ask an ADHDer. They'll tell you the unadulterated truth, facts, no chaser. It may appear, you know, that ADHD may be disobedient or disrespectful, but that's not the case at all. That's just how they're wired. And I think that we need to do a better job of accepting who our ADHDers are, understanding their personalities, the uniqueness that comes with their personality, and learning how to live within their dynamics opposed to us putting them in a, a box, um, saying how the world or society says they should be. Another myth is that, Children with ADHD will grow out of it. No, that's not true. They do learn how to cope and manage the diagnosis. But it's not something that you outgrow. It's something that you will carry for the rest of your life. From your childhood, if you're diagnosed at a young age, into your adulthood. But what you learn to do is you learn how to deal with the symptoms. And you learn how to be part of a functional environment that allows you to be the best version of yourself. And that means behavior therapy. That means uh, behavior management. That also means parent behavior management. And a lot of people are like, parent behavior management? Well, I'm not the one with ADHD. Right, you're not the one with ADHD, mom, dad, care giver, auntie, uncle, but you are the one that's having to learn how to adjust with that particular diagnosis. So yeah, we do as parents need to have some parent behavior management. If you're opting to do medication, also medication therapy, how to deal with the medication and just overall general therapy and treatment for the diagnosis. By getting this earlier on and mastering this, you can help your child as they uh, manifest into the adults that they become by learning how to manage and minimize the symptoms. There are some great people that are in our industry, in our entertainment industry that have ADHD and I'm sure you probably didn't even know. Will Smith. Justin Timberlake, Solange Knowles, Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm sure there's people that you work with that you didn't know have ADHD. Nonetheless, they're functioning and they're functioning at their full capacity as the best version of themselves. There's a long list of entertainers that are ADHDers and you would have never known it based on the great things that they have done, the great accomplishments. You would have never known that they are... Uh, ADHDers. And so at a later date, I will be doing a segment on those that you didn't know that have ADHD, but now you know. So look out for that. Just so you understand, people say that, you know, you can tell a child has ADHD when they're four or five, maybe six. That's not true. That is also a myth. The average age when you should be diagnosing for ADHD is seven. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, NIH, uh, many children will continue to experience symptoms as they grow older. In fact, research has shown about 70% will experience symptoms in their teens and 50% well into their adulthood. However, these numbers depend on a number of factors. This is my favorite myth. My favorite myth. Medication is the answer. Medication is the best treatment for ADHD. False. That's a lie. There is no such thing as a magic pill. And being that there's no such thing as a magic pill, medication that's often prescribed for ADHD might work for your child. Not saying yay or nay, nor do I encourage or discourage 
medication. Me personally, I am not a supporter or believe that's the first line of defense for an ADHD diagnosis. Just because you have a diagnosis, that does not mean medication is the go-to in regards to treating it. Again, there are other modifications that can be reviewed and explored, such as behavior modification, putting strategies in place to support that ADHD or at home, school, outside exercises, uh, diet, exercise, sleeping patterns, as well as proper nutrition. It's a plethora of things that can be done to address an ADHD diagnosis that do not require medication. Hey, even some people do more naturalistic and they go the naturopathic route. And in future segments, I will be doing a two-part series in upcoming weeks talking about there's no such thing as uh, a magic pill. And I'll be looking at ADHD treatment from a traditional medicine perspective as well as from a naturopathic holistic. And I'll have some experts that can speak a little bit more to it. So if you are struggling with the fact whether or not you should medicate or not medicate, you have some foundation to go by. ADHD is only a childhood condition. That is a lie. ADHD is a human condition. It is human. It is part of our human nature and what is part of who we are. So just to say that ADHD is a childhood condition, no, it's the number one childhood diagnosis, but it is not a childhood condition that you only get if you're a child. There are many adults that are being diagnosed well into their 40s and 50s and even their 60s with ADHD. There are more and more women being diagnosed professional, successful women being diagnosed with ADHD. And it is most common that mental health conditions in children around five and up are starting to show symptoms of ADHD. But in this country, 6.1 million children are diagnosed with that condition. And there are many adults that are suspected to have ADHD, but are unaware because they've never been properly diagnosed. And not for nothing, a lot of them don't want to know. A lot of them are functioning with the best of, of the, the tools and skill sets that they have, and they just don't want to know. So that's not unusual. Again, in the black and brown community, the biggest myth is that ADHD is not even a real medical condition. Yes, it is. It is a medical condition, just like childhood diabetes, just like asthma, just like bronchial issues, just like colds, just like viruses and flus. It is a real medical diagnosis. I don't care what you heard and I don't care what your, your family talks about at the barbecues or Thanksgiving dinner when they see little Jaquan or little Taisha acting up and they're just saying, oh no, she just bad. She just bad. One thing we have to stop doing as a community and as a people is stop labeling, putting a label to what is affecting our children. Um, we are good for giving our children, oh, they bad. They just bad. They're not bad. They're just being who they are. And so being who they are, does that make them bad? We have to be careful with these labels. I mean, these labels that we give our children, they sometimes become self-fulfilling prophecies. And I've heard some of my ADHD clients, you know, my little brown boys, you know, saying to me, oh, I'm just bad. I've accepted the fact I'm bad. No, you don't have to accept the fact. You only answer to what you know your name is. Do you feel that you're bad? Then no, you're not bad if that's not how you feel 
feel. Just like someone can say, oh, I feel old. Do you feel old? I mean, sometimes our body might give out on us and make us feel, you know, the true uh, reality of our age. But a lot of people are young at heart. So it's all about what you label yourself as being and what you really see yourself as being. Based on previous myths, critics have their insight and they have different arguments about discrediting ADHD as a diagnosis. Some people like to blame it on bad parenting. The kids are just unruly. Saying that it's something that the pharmaceutical companies are using in the black and brown community to get rich and make money off of. And that very well can be you know, perceived as such. But I can tell you from my own life lived experience, ADHD is a real diagnosis. It is real in my hood. I don't know about anybody else's, but it's real in my hood. When I was dealing with raising a child with ADHD, it was real in my hood then. And now that I've successfully raised my ADHD, it's still real in my hood with a full grown ADHD adult. One of the theories that constantly supports ADHD is that culture plays a lot into whether or not um, our children are growing into who they are based on what the diagnosis says. You know, ADHD is an authentic condition. And I think that we need to be more mindful of how we treat that. I mean, if a person or a child is diagnosed with cancer, do we say that cancer is not real? Do we say that a child is not, you know, uh, subjected to what an adult would be subjected if they were uh, diagnosed with cancer. You know, I've had children in my family who were diagnosed with cancer. I've known families who have lived through the agonizing pain of a cancer diagnosis that has taken the life of their child. ADHD is not a death sentence, so to speak, but it is something that is real in our community as any other childhood diagnosis. Interestingly, a lot of parents are affected by their children's diagnosis. And if you trace it back through the, the DNA, you'll find nine times out of 10, both or one of the parents had some type of chemical imbalance or some type of complications that directed the characteristics to ADHD. Let's talk about diet and exercise. A lot of people say that eating too much sugar is a, a direct link to ADHD. Now, I will say this. There's no evidence that supports the link between eating sugar or having a bad diet contributing to hyperactivity and impulsivity. But what I will say is just like with anything else, with a, any other medical condition, it is very wise to practice good nutrition and proper dieting. A lot of parents believe that, you know, kids have a sugar rush. I don't necessarily believe that there's a such thing as a sugar rush. Maybe because my adrenaline doesn't react. You know, people be like, well, I need some sugar or I need coffee to get through my day or I need some chocolate. That does nothing for me but other than crave my cravings. Doesn't give me any extra boost of energy. It doesn't speak to my, you know, my rush my sugar rush, none of that. But again, we know the effects of what sugar can do. We know the effects of what poor diet can do. We know the effects of that. So I would say in regards to that myth, I think it's more so about how your lifestyle looks and how you condition your child to be a healthy body and a healthy mind. As they say, we feed the mind. So whatever nutrients you put in is what you'll put out. 
Studies suggest that certain food additives are linked to ADHD, but according to the FDA, again, these results have been inconclusive for years. I'm sure as we continue to get more awareness of the and development in the ADHD realm, we'll find out more about these implications. Another myth is that adults with ADHD struggle to complete school and to succeed at work. That goes back to my earlier point. There are so many successful and amazing adults that have ADHD, and you would never know it unless they told you. What I love about people that have ADHD, and I learned this from my ADHD -er, they just want to be regular people. They don't want to be seen for their diagnosis. They don't want to see, be seen for their impulsivity. They don't want to be seen for their directness. They just want to be seen for who they are. And ADHD is part of who they are. ADHD is not who they are. So I love that when I meet people that have ADHD and even now with some of the children that have accepted the diagnosis, when I work with a lot of the children that have been told they have ADHD, I've learned that they use that as an excuse. And when we're working together to address some of the behaviors and some of the coaching that I do with my ADHD years, I do not let that be an excuse for them to get away with certain things because at the end of the day, we are raising strong bodied individuals. So we cannot give room for excuse or error. We cannot make an exception that ADHD gets a pass because that's who you are. No, that's not who you are. You just have a diagnosis. Uh, just like if you had diabetes. No, you're not diabetes. You just have diabetes. Just like if you have cancer. No, you have cancer is a diagnosis you have. You are not cancer. So ADHD has the same connotation. Another myth is that it's more common in boys and men than it is in women and girls. Not true. More and more women and more and more girls. I just told you that a moment ago. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, I love the National Institute of Mental Health. I'll quote a lot of things that they say because I love the information that they're, sh they're sharing. And the information is so transparent. Um, and it's a source that gives us the facts about what's going on. So according to the National Institute of Mental Health, boys are four to six times at risk than girls for ADHD. However, research has shown, research, this is what they're studying and investigating, that our culture and societal stigmas may be at work here. Again, our cultural competencies, what we say is true and what's not true when it comes to race, culture, societal norms, and what we believe about our mental health concerns, what we believe about our childhood diagnoses. Some studies suggest that ADHD is a more internal versus an external thing in girls. That is true to a great degree. It shows up differently in girls than it does boys, whereas boys might be more likely to be hyperactive, you know, always on the go. Girls might be more humble and taken aback. And sometimes, you know, when they kind of fade in the back like that, girls are seen to be shy and, and, and you know, they're not very social or socially awkward. And that's not always the case. That can be a symptom for girls and women that is characteristic of ADHD. When it comes to some of the other internal aspects and external aspects, hyperactivity of the mind, mood, low IQs, and uh, difficulty in social settings are some of the things that girls and women experience. Where, where boys are and men, they're very disruptive, you know, outspoken, more outward than the female ADHD would be.
you know, this, this is all things that we, you know, we kind of push aside that we don't take into consideration. And a lot of people think that because of timing or when they were born in the world, they just completely got dismissed. They, you know, that generation doesn't see the aspects or, you know, the effects of ADHD when that's not true either. A lot of baby boomers, have been diagnosed with ADHD. A lot of them deal with other comorbidities such as anxiety, depression, overeating, you know, just to name a few. So you have to really, really look at where people are when it comes to the diagnosis. Parents should definitely pay attention to these. You know, I'm starting to see more and more, especially what's going on in the world. More and more of our children are, are being plagued with anxiety. And anxiety, especially in these COVID times, uh, continue to, to interfere and interrupt the space of our children in their development. Anxiety can also present as a condition that is separate from ADHD. So also keep that in mind. ADHD probably hasn't even been factored in yet, but that child is experiencing anxiety at five years old and then later on will be diagnosed with ADHD. Now, for a lot of people, how do you go about, you know, finding out exactly what's going on? Does my child, and I talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago, does my child really have ADHD? Like I always encourage parents to get the answers to those questions. You need to talk to your medical professional, your, your pediatrician, and have that conversation. Be mindful about some of the things that you're noticing, some of the things that your school system and your, your child's teacher might be noticing. What I want to press upon you is this. While the school and school elect cannot tell you or give you the diagnosis of ADHD, that can only be done by a trained professional, teachers, administration of school districts, they can't tell you if your child has an ADHD diagnosis, but they can tell you about the symptoms that they see. So be very clear that when your son or your daughter's school is sending you information and telling you about certain behaviors that they're seeing, Understand that's the time for you to kind of tap in and see what's going on in that classroom. You know, you have to be very, very in tune with what's going on. A brain scan, one of the other myths is that there's various types of ADHD, which is true. One of the myths is that a brain scan can show the difference. Brain scans can't show the difference. They sound very sophisticated and appealing, but... They cannot tell you the type of ADHD, and there's three types, predominantly inattentive type, hyperactive impulsive type, which is the most common, and a combined type, which is a combination of the two. The FDA has approved one biological test to help diagnose ADHD for children from the ages of 6 to 17, and that's known as the Neuropsychiatric EEG-Based Assessment Aid, also known as the NEBA or the NEBA system. That is how you can tell, and that is done through trained professionals that are trained in the psychology field to test that. It records the type and the number of brain waves that nerve cells give off each second. And it also shows people with ADHD who tend to have a higher brainwave ratio between the two common brainwaves, which is theta and beta, compared to the people without ADHD. I know that was a whole lot, right? It felt like you were in science class, but basically it's two ways to measure. But this test 
does not replace any clinical evaluations or assessments that also it's a combination of things that kind of identify where your child stands with their ADHD diagnosis. The results are meant to work and to be used alongside with your child's medical history as well as a physical assessment. If NEBA tests are done, the likelihood of indicating just from a NEBA test that ADHD is what it is, is not always guaranteed. But it is the segue into leading clinicians and professionals alike to do the due diligence in getting the evaluations and the other things that you need to take into consideration when making the assessment of whether a person or a child has ADHD. When it is clear, you know what you know. But when it's unclear, if the symptoms are due to ADHD or any other contributing condition, that's when the clinician or medical professionals can use the information from the NEBA test to kind of give more context to it. All right. Um, and I know that was like a really scientific type of explanation, but I think it was one that was well worth the explanation. Is it healthy for children to take their meds during school days and during the weekends be off of it. You know, this, this goes to the conversation about to medicate or not medicate. And what people need to understand about medication and the fact that there's no such thing as a magic pill, you have to be mindful of the fact that you are introducing a medication to a child, a, a little person's body to suppress or stop something that is interrupting what we call a normal process. So when you're introducing a stimulant and or a non-stimulant medication to a child, stopping and going, it all depends on that child. Stopping medication, if you have a child that's on medication, stopping medication you're setting up a recipe for more problems, in my opinion. Um, and like I said, I am not the end-all, the be-all, but in my opinion and in my experience, you're opening a pathway for other things to happen. You're kind of tricking the body. Monday through Friday, I'm on this drug that keeps me at bay, but Saturday and Sunday, I kind of lay low. You're, you're sending a, a shock to the system. It's just like this weather here in New England. It was heat wave here a couple of weeks ago and then out of nowhere we're in chilly weather we have we have temperatures in the 30s at night when just the night before last we had a heat wave so just imagine doing that to an ADHD mind one minute you're hot the next minute you're cold it's like waking up um, and taking a cold shower from a sound sleep. So those are the things that you need to think about. You cannot turn ADHD on and off. It's not a light switch. It's not one of those things that you pick it up Monday through Friday and then you put it down on the weekends. So for me, that myth that you can do that, no, I would have to say no. I think it's something that you really need to consider in doing that because you're, you're setting yourself up and you're also setting your child up for disaster by taking on that approach and that mentality. I think that whatever works, if it works, 
be consistent with it. Consistency is key with ADHDers, and you have to make sure that you are providing that consistency at all times, not just on holidays. And I know a lot of people feel that it's a good thing to give the mind a rest, but you have to be careful, and you really have to check into what is going to work for that child. Just to give you a couple of other things that are factual, common mental health disorders among the black and brown community include major depression, attention deficit disorder, as we know, ADHD, suicide, particularly in more, more and more we're seeing this, particularly in our black and brown men, and post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of people don't think that PTSD is real, but that is real, especially to a child who has ADHD and has experienced trauma. That is a real thing. I and mean, we take it lightly because, you know, when we think about PTSD, we think about a person that went off to war and then they come back and they're a little off. But that's not always what it boils down to. You have to be mindful of that. Depression is common, but it is more than just being, you know, hidden away from uh, the world and just, you know, not wanting to get out of bed today. More serious mood disorders are coming up on the horizon, especially in mid-COVID-19. Social emotional learning is something that every school district across the country, not just across the country, throughout the world, social emotional learning is going to be vital after COVID-19, while even more so while we're going through Corona, but even more so after this virus has left us, social emotional learning is going to be something that is going to be a staple in our, our districts. Our children are stressing, their appetite levels are changing, the way they're sleeping. Our children are stressing out just like some of our adults are, and it's a real thing. Everyone that experiences sadness, it doesn't always look the way that we envision sadness to look. It's functional. I can be sad, but you'll never know it because I'm functional and I'm operating because there's an expectation that I have to be okay. So I can't show my sadness. I can't ex express my sadness. So, you know, those are things to think about. Although in the black and brown community, suicide rates are low, we're low. Overall, suicide is the third leading, leading cause of death amongst our black and brown men ages 15 through 24. And that is from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. College students especially are prone to suicide and the rate is increasing. And you have to understand, especially with COVID-19, a lot of our campuses did not resume. And a lot of our um, college students are also going through the challenge of, of trying to find their balance when it comes to where we are in this season. So, you know, just be mindful of that. If you want to continue to learn more and more, I am offering more workshops and educational sessions. If you have not gone over to our website, please head on over to our website. Sign up for our email list. Get more and more in tune to what's going on, whether it is that you are a parent or you have children that you work closely with that have ADHD, whether you are a professional, whether you just want to learn more, whether you're in school and you're, you're taking this information on to be more well-versed in your studies, whatever it is, please sign up for our website and be part of our community. We really would welcome you and we would really love to have you to be a part of our community. Before I bring things to a close, I want to go over again some of the known common barriers in the black and brown community as it relates to ADHD. 
Again, lack of information leading to misunderstanding and the miseducation of ADHD. Historical and present distrust, the negative attitude that many black and brown folks have in regards to healthcare professionals, as well as therapy, therapeutic uh, staff, clinicians, therapists, coaches who are uh, trained and well-equipped to deal with ADHD because traditionally many of these folks didn't look like us. So I'm not going to go to a therapist that don't look like me and tell them all my business. What am I going to do that for? Well, now we have more and more black and brown therapists coming up on the come up and there is no excuse. You know, I look at the psychology today website regularly to see all the black and brown people across the country that are specializing their services to deal with some of our issues. So don't be afraid. Like I said, a lot of people tend to lean towards that uh, spiritual guidance and you know leaning on the faith-based community there's nothing wrong with that I wholeheartedly believe in prayer but you can have a prayer a preacher and a therapist I absolutely love that you can actually have a spiritual advisor too who specializes in mental health and some of the things that we deal with and one of the top things that will be on the list moving forward in our dynamics as a black and brown community is trauma trauma is real y'all it's real it's real if you don't believe me look at turn the tv on Turn the TV on. I know I'm here in Connecticut and my city just just turning on the news is traumatic for me. So if, if you if you know, like I know, and if you haven't seen it, turn the news on, go online, go on your social media, trauma all around you, trauma all around you. Um, one of the other misconceptions and the barriers is lack of access to care, reasonable treatment and medical language and terminology pertaining to ADHD. Get knowledgeable and well-versed. Learn, learn about it. The stigmas about mental health. I'm so sick of that word, stigma. Let's dispel the myth of stigma. Can we normalize getting rid of the word stigma? I'm over the word stigma. Let's do better, black and brown. Let's put normalize mental health in the black and brown community. Let's accept it and embrace it. A lot of people don't feel comfortable talking to therapists. Another alternative is an ADHD coach or life coach. What I've learned in this field is that sometimes people are more receptive to a coach, which prepares that does some of the groundwork leading up to therapy. You want to learn more about coaching? Head on over to my website. We can help you there too and get more well-versed with that. Cultural indifferences. You know, we have these things about even within the black culture, you know, all black is not black. You know, we have black and we have, you know, Caribbean, we have African. And even within that confine, all black looks different. So we have these misconceptions of what it looks like in our black and brown communities. What happened in the average black household might not be the same in a Jamaican black household or an African black household. Some of the, the things that we expose our children to might not be the same. Some of the things that happen in the old country might not be what's happening in the new country. And I can tell you that just from, you know, being a born black woman raised by Southern parents, how my parents raised me and my siblings is not the way that I raise my children and how my children will raise their children will not be the way that I raise them. And the saying goes that we're supposed to do better in each generation. You know, you have to pick and, and choose where that lies. Um, 
language and communication barriers. I hear all the time when I'm working with clients, I don't speak that well, or, you know, they, they don't feel as well versed and educated. Um, don't let that be a hindrance to you. Speak the language that you know. It is the responsibility of those that have been charged to help you, to meet you where you are, to get down on your level and to understand your language. So that pretty much sums up what I wanted to go over today. You know, I am so grateful again to be able to use my platform. Like I tell you in every podcast, every day I strive to help the ADHD community, to help the mental health community, to help our school districts, our professionals that are out there on the front lines helping our children. If you want to stay connected and to be involved with some of the developments that's happening with Shattering Glass Ceilings, whether it be our development of services, our course offerings, alternatives to traditional treatment, strategies on how to deal with this diagnosis, innovation, cultural competencies, and just the overall student work-life balance and so much more that's out there to understand with this diagnosis, follow me on social media. It's a great way to stay up to date with the current events, to learn more about what's happening and all of the things that we're working on behind the scenes that I don't always talk about in our podcast. Get with our email list. Be in the know of what's going on. If you want to set up a workshop, whether it's for your church community, a lot of churches are doing some excellent work in their ministries with faith-based um, education when we're talking about trauma and we're talking about mental uh, illness in the black and brown community if you want to have a workshop within your church give us a call get connected get on our email list get on our, our website and browse around and see what we have to offer i encourage you to stay tuned and continue to listen to the podcast because every week we're coming up with more and more episodes that are specific to what's going on in the adhd community and what's also happening in the world as it relates to you and your adhd -er. again if you haven't already done so head on over to our website www.tanya t-o-n-y-a i R-B-Y, Langley, L-A-N-G-L-E-Y.com, www.tanyaerbylangley.com, and sign up for our email list or take a look at our calendar and pick some time uh, and schedule a 15-minute virtual discovery uh, call to learn more or even opt in to sign up for some of our services that we're offering. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at Shattering Glass Ceilings, and I'm on Instagram at uh, shattering glass ceilings 94 listen as caregivers and providers and parents and those that are on the front line we have to stay in the know and be equipped with all that we need to make a difference in this world i want to thank you again for tuning in and getting on our level and understanding what's happening in our world of adhd this is tanya irby langley your adhd coach your life skills and transformation coach author of Shattering Glass Ceilings, and your host of Shattering Glass Ceilings, the Black and Brown Series podcast. See you next time.